Chapters forty seven and forty eight of Her Mother's Secret. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter forty seven Leonidas Leaves Mondreer. Auntie, said Leonidas, taking the hand of Odalite and leading her up to Mrs. Force, who stood before the grand piano, putting away the sheets of music before closing the instrument. Auntie, dear, I am not going away tomorrow. What now? inquired the lady, in some uneasiness. I mean, I am not going away tomorrow morning. I can go tomorrow night and be in time to join my ship on the third. It will be a close shave, as to time, Auntie, but then it will give me twelve more hours with you all. Twelve precious hours. Auntie, are you sorry? You look so grave. No, dear boy, I am glad to have you until the last possible moment. I only regret that you have to go at all, kindly replied Mrs. Force. "'Yaw! Oh, Lord, I could crack my jawbones a-gasping. Never was so sleepy in my life. Say, good folks, ain't it time to go to bed? After being up most all night, and not even getting a wink of sleep this morning.' The suggestion came from the lady of the gold-diggings, of course, and it was so speedily acted upon, especially since Leonidas had announced his intention of deferring his departure until the next night that in less than half an hour the parties had separated and retired to their several bedrooms. The next day was the last that Leonidas Force would spend at Mondreer for three years at least. All that day Mr. Force was closeted with his overseer in his office, looking over the farm books and making up the accounts for the year just closed. Mrs. Force was merciful, and told Leonidas and Odalite to spend this last day as they pleased. The young couple, warmly clothed, set out through the splendid winter sunshine and over the crisply frozen snow to walk to Greenbushes. They went out by the north gate, through the woods, across Chinkapin Creek, and so on to the farmhouse. They took the housekeeper by surprise indeed, but they never could take her unprepared. She soon laid as dainty a repast upon the table as two young people, with healthy appetites sharpened by a brisk walk through the winter woods, ever sat down to and enjoyed. The two lingered over that meal, playing at housekeeping, playing at being master and mistress at their own table. When they were tired of that little drama, they went all through the house, Odalite seeing the improvements that had been made there during the weeks of her absence. All this new furniture is to be packed up or covered over, and the rooms are to be closed up, and only opened occasionally to be dried or aired. And, my darling of darlings, I mean never to live in this house until I can bring you here as its mistress. I ask no promise from you, my dear, for I must not. But I can and will give you mine, said Leonidas earnestly. Lee, dear, you do not need a promise from me, nor I from you. We know and can trust each other, dear. And, Lee, I will come over here once a week to open and air the rooms and inspect the furniture, so that nothing shall come to harm from ignorance or neglect. And, Lee, this weekly work will be my happiest employment, except that of writing to you. Dear Odalite, now I feel that you are my own again. This weekly work, as you call it, will be a sign between us. It will be your own house you will be watching over, darling. And when I return from this voyage, if all should go well with us, we will settle down here, and I will never go to sea again. We too shall not be so very old when I come home again. You will be twenty, and I will be twenty-five. She smiled up in his face in her old arch manner, but made no reply in words. When they had gone through all the rooms, as it was some time after noon, they took leave of Greenbushes and of the old servants, and set out to return to Mondreer. 
They varied their walk by going down the wooded hill to the bay and walking along the shore until they reached Mondreer, and up the wooded hill again to the mansion. This is our last walk by the shore for three years to come, but it is also the happiest we have had since my return from sea, for now we fully understand and trust one another, said Lee, as they re-entered the house. The short winter afternoon was drawing to a close. The sun was just above the wooded hills on the western horizon, and the moon had not yet risen above the bay. It had been arranged that Mr. Force, Odalite, Wynnette, and Elva should accompany their cousin to the distant railway to see him off, to see the last of him, as Wynnette put it, in a tragic-comic air. They were to go in the large sleigh, drawn by a pair of draught-horses driven by Jake. Tea had been ordered at half-past five o'clock, and the sleigh was to be brought up to the door at six. By that time the moon would be up and the road lightened. The servants were punctual. At the appointed hour the whole family gathered around the tea-table, and by much tea-drinking and more talking and laughing tried to enliven the gloom of the last hour. As soon as tea was over, the girls flew off upstairs to put on hooded cloaks and shawls and overshoes for their moonlight sleigh-ride. Leonidas put on his ulster and seal cap, and then made a round of the house and the stables and quarters to bid good-bye to all the servants, who gave him many prayers and blessings, after the manner of their warm hearts. When he returned to the hall, he found Mr. Force and the three girls already packed in the sleigh under heaps of bearskins. "'Make your adieus as brief as possible, my dear boy.' It is necessary to speed the parting guest, or he will not catch the train, and then what will become of his official honor? called out Mr. Force from the sleigh. Lee caught his aunt in his arms and kissed her while he received her blessing. Then he embraced Miss Meek, who cried a little over him. Finally, he gave his hand to Mrs. Anglesia to bid her a respectful and friendly good-bye. But that affectionate creature caught him in her arms and pressed him to her bosom, saying, when she had kissed him heartily, "'Lord bless you, young un. I don't care if you do miss the train and fail to report for duty and get court-martialed and dismiss the service, for then yer can stay home and marry your gal, and let honor be hanged and the service go to old scratch. You'll be happy with your fine farm and your pretty wife.' "'Come, come, Lee, my dear fellow, come,' called Mr. Force. Leonidas broke away from the kindly arms that held him and hurried into the sleigh, which started off so suddenly that the young midshipman literally dropped into the seat that had been kept for him beside Odalite. The sleigh sped over the snow-clad, moonlit ground, through the north gate of the lawn, and into the forest. Before reaching Chinkapin Creek it turned off to the left, and took the road to the railway station. Their way lay through the forest for many a mile. Odalite and Leonidas sat in the back seat, covered with the same bearskin, and with their hands clasped together. Very few words passed between them, but the frequent hand-pressures silently spoke. Wynnette and Elva sat in front of them, and chattered incessantly to encourage themselves and their party, very much upon the same principle that boys are said to whistle in going through a churchyard at night, to keep up their spirits, for the children loved their cousin dearly and hated to part from him. Mr. Force sat on the front seat beside Jake, who drove. The horses went at full speed and fairly flew over the ground. When they emerged at last from the forest they saw the lights in the railway station gleaming in the distance, and soon after heard the far-off thunder of the approaching train. "'Faster, Jacob, faster!' cried Mr. Force. "'Oh, Lee, my boy, what a close shave this is! How much you have risked for the sake of spending a few more hours with us!' "'Well, I gained the hours, and I shall catch the train,' exclaimed the young man, as the sleigh suddenly pulled up before the ticket office in the same instant that the train ran into the station. 
"'Don't get out, there's no time!' exclaimed Lee, as he suddenly strained Odalite to his bosom, kissed her passionately, and started from his seat. A hasty handshake with his uncle, and then with Jake, both of whom called blessings down on him, a hasty kiss to Wynnette and Elva, both of whom burst out crying and bellowed lustily, then a last long kiss again to his dear Odalite, who received it in a suffocating silence. In the next moment the young man had jumped from his sleigh and disappeared in the station, and almost immediately the train went on. The party in the sleigh waited in total silence but for the sobs of Wynnette and Elva, until the train had passed out of sight and hearing. "'I thought he might have missed it, but he has not,' said Mr. Force. "'Oh, I wish, I wish he had,' sobbed Elva. "'But what would have become of his honor, my dear?' questioned her father. "'Oh, I don't care a pin for that sort of honor, any more than Mrs. Anglesea does. "'I wanted him, I loved him,' sobbed Elva. "'I don't see why people should part when they don't want to and are not obliged to just for a notion,' cried Wynnette. "'Drive home, Jacob, but not too fast. We can spare the horses now,' said Mr. Force." and the coachman turned the horses' heads and took the homeward road. They arrived at Mondrier at ten o'clock and found Mrs. Force, Mrs. Anglesea, and Miss Meek cozily sitting around the parlor fire and watching a jug of hot mulled port wine which the mistress had brewed for the returning cold and benumbed travelers. Mrs. Force took Odalite into her arms and kissed her in silent sympathy, while Mrs. Anglesea occupied herself with the congenial task of pouring out the hot spiced wine into glass goblets for the party. They all sat around the table, those who had gone abroad and those who had stayed at home, and every one partook of the warming and exhilarating beverage, while Mr. Force related what a fine sleigh-ride they had had, and how Lee caught his train just in the nick of time. They all drank Lee's health in a final glass, and then separated and retired to rest. CHAPTER Forty Eight, A WEDDING AT Mondrier how they missed Leonidas at Mondrier can be felt by all who have ever had a dear one leave the family for an absence of years in far distant lands. In the city such a loss is felt painfully enough, but the busy life of the crowd distracts attention from individual missings. In the country and in the winter, when clouds and rain and snow prevail, and with bad weather, they have worse roads, and no interchange of neighborly courtesies, and all within the house is still, silent, and depressing. The absence of the friend is felt far more deeply. The day after Lee's departure the weather changed, bringing a dull gray sky and a warm rain that melted all the splendor of the snow and turned the hard roads into gullies of mud, so confining the family of Mondrier to their own house. Certainly they tried to be jolly under difficulties. Mr. Force reminded them that they had really nothing to mourn over, since young Navy officers must go to sea and that if they all were as steady as Lee, the long voyage must do them good, improve their minds, and strengthen their bodies, and that they had much to be thankful for, since sickness and death had kept away from their homes. Mrs. Force and Odalite were a little more silent than usual, and that was all the difference to be seen in them. Wynnette went singing about the house, to pretend that she was merry, but while gazing from the parlor window out upon the dark sky full of soft, fine, warm rain that turned the lawn into a marsh, and hid the wooded hills on the west and the bay on the east from view, she suddenly snapped out, Euphonious Mondrier should be relegated to its original descriptive name, and be called Mount Dreary, as it is in the old patents and deeds. But was it Mount Dreary last week, when we had the glorious sunshine, 
"'And the splendid frost and snow, "'and the waters of the bay as blue as the sky they reflected, eh?' inquired Miss Meek, deprecatingly. "'I don't know,' said Wynnette perversely. "'I don't remember any glorious sunshine "'or splendid frost and snow or any blue waters. "'It has always been rain and mud and darkness in this world "'ever since I was born. "'And I don't remember anything else, "'and I don't believe in anything else. "'There, now.' "'My dear, my dear, do not talk so,' said Miss Meek. "'I can't help it,' said Wynnette. "'I know it always has been just this way, and it always will be. "'But who cares if it will? Not I, for one.' "'Hi diddle diddle, the cat in the fiddle,' sang Wynnette, "'dancing away from the dreary window and dancing out of the room. "'As for little Elva, she went moping about the house, "'with red eyes, sniveling in the most undisguised manner.' Miss Meek was gravely busy with her wedding preparations. Mrs. Anglesia was the jolliest person in the house, sympathetically interested in everybody's feelings and occupations. Occasionally, when there was a solemn pause in the conversation around the fire or around the board, the happy creature would take the whole company to task for their gloom. "'Call this a parting, do you? Why, the young fellow hasn't gone out of reach of civilization, newspapers and mailbags and telegraph wires.' "'Wait until he goes on a wild goose chase after the North Pole, "'where you can't hear from him for months or years. "'Even if you ever hear from him again, "'for his chances are to leave his bones on the icebergs "'if they are not crunched up by the white bears. "'My father and my brother were whalers "'and used to be gone for years. "'When we, mother and I, did not hear from them, "'and had to trust in Providence. "'And that was bad enough. "'But when they both went off on an Arctic cruise, "'craze, I called it, long of Captain Kane, I tell you, that was a time of trial. But this young Lee. Phew, why, he's only just over there. The near approach of Natalie Meek's wedding, however, was the best diversion of all. The whole family, from Mr. Force down to little Elva, were deeply interested in it. They all made her useful presents. Mr. Force gave her a set of silver spoons and forks. Mrs. Force a china tea set. Odalite, her own wedding dress, with all its accessories of wreath, veil, and fan, etc., Wynnette, a handsomely bound Bible, and Elva, a prayer-book and hymn-book. Mrs. Anglesia bestowed a heavy gold card-case. "'There, take this, honey,' she said in presenting it. "'I ain't got no use for it. I bought it when my dear old man made his first haul, and we went up to Frisco to sell the dust and have a lark. It took my fancy, for I thought it was a snuff-box. Now all the women out at Wild Cats either smoked pipes or took snuff. As for me, I did neither. Couldn't get into the way of it, you see.' "'But when I saw this splendid snuff-box, as I thought it was, "'I just said to myself I'd buy it and carry it in my pocket, "'to have it always about me to remind me as I was getting to be a rich woman, "'and to take it out and make a show of it by offering anyone who might drop in a pinch of snuff, "'even if I never sniffed a sniff myself. "'I thought it would take them all down. "'But, Lord, didn't one of them take me down neither, "'when she up and told me this was a wizarding card-case, "'and wouldn't do to hold snuff no ways.' "'Well, honey, it never was no use to me, "'for what call had I for a wizarding card-case at Wildcats? "'No, we didn't send up our cards when we called on our neighbor's heir. "'We didn't often put on our bonnets to go a-wizarding. "'We just have a old shawl over our heads "'and run in and out mung neighbors, we did.' "'Natalie warmly thanked the donor, "'as soon as she could get a chance to speak. "'Dr. Ingle and Miss Meek were married on the 20th of January.' The sky had cleared, the ground had dried, the roads were good. The wedding was a quiet one, no one being invited but the oldest and most intimate friends of the parties. That is to say, the Reverend Doctor and Mrs. Peters, of All Faith Rectory, 
the Grandiers of Oldfield, the Elks of Grove Hill, Miss Bayard of Forest Rest, and Mr. Roland Bayard of Nowhere in particular. The ceremony was performed in the drawing-room of Mondreer by the Reverend Dr. Peters. The bride was given away by Mr. Force. She wore the elegant wedding dress which had been prepared for Odalite. The two little bridesmaids wore the same dresses in which they had appeared at the attempted wedding of the month previous. Roland Bayard was the groomsman. Immediately after the ceremony, the bride's cake was cut and served. Roland Bayard received the hidden ring, which promised him a bride in the course of the year, and he immediately crossed the room and put it on the finger of little Rosemary Hedge, amid the good-humored congratulations and laughter of the little company, and to the great confusion of the quaint little girl who had been favored. Soon after this the negro fiddlers came in and tuned up their instruments. The young men took their partners and the dancing began. Roland Bayard, as groomsman, opened the ball with the bride. Dr. Ingle, with the first bridesmaid, was their vis-a-vis. The dancing continued until ten o'clock, when an elegant little supper was served in the dining-room. After this the bride changed her dress, and the just-wedded pair took leave of their friends and entered the carriage engaged for the occasion, and amid a shower of slippers departed for the young doctor's new home. The subsequent developments of Anglesia's machinations will be related in the sequel to this volume, entitled Love's Bitterest Cup. This is published in uniform style and price with this volume. End of chapter 48 End of Her Mother's Secret by E. D. E. N. Southworth